You look like. Oh, I got a text! No, you haven't. I have. It's a question or a blog, Smitty. Here we go. Here we go. It's the Talking Smith Podcast. You. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Talking Smith. And today I'm joined by the voice behind the camera of ODT, the man with a talent behind the mic and a talent in the ring, also the amazing and brilliantly talented Angus Magnoli. How you going? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Great to chat to you. Uh, great, to, great to meet you as well. I, I'm, I'm a very fresh new fan of OTT wrestling, and I'm, I am quite starstruck right now. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, how's life, man? How's things? Good. It's busy at the moment. Um, I, I think kind of, it's now become part of the OTT canon. So I'm on tour at the moment with a theatre show. I mean, theatre is my first love. Uh, it's strange that you know your your day job from pro wrestling would be theatre. It's kind of hardly the bankable gig that you might your parents might want you to go for. Um, so I'm on tour at the moment with this show called Fight Night, which is really physically demanding. Um, and we've been on the road the guts of five months at this stage. So it's been a long hour. We've got another two weeks to go. Uh, which I'm looking forward to. It's the first time we're going to have like a long two-week run in one venue. Otherwise, it's been kind of three nights here, two nights there, one night here. Uh, it's quite great. It's like a pro wrestler, you know, making towns, kind of hitting the road every night. Um, so um, I'm good, but I'm I'm a little bit tired. I'm kind of rested up this week, ready for one last push now towards the end of the tour and the and Scrapper, of yeah. course. Uh, and then after that, I'm taking a break and taking my kids to Disneyland is what I'm doing. Yes, I love it. <laughs> no, um, I actually didn't know you were an actor. A stage actor? Yeah. I didn't know that that's, Yeah, that's that's my first love. It's the family business. I'm uh, just like just like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. I am a third generation uh, actor. My my grandparents met on the Abbey stage. My parents met on the Abbey stage. Um, I've been in the business since I was a fifteen year old kid. You know, started working at fifteen alongside Pierce Brosnan and people like that doing movies and plays here, and uh, and I've been at it ever since. So that's yeah, that's that's my first love. And kind of th- that's where the the interest in pro wrestling, I guess, at this stage in my life comes from. Obviously, when I was a kid, I watched Jake the Snake and Mr. Perfect and Undertaker and all the gang uh, back in that real kind of glory days. And then didn't watch much wrestling after that at all. So kind of the weird thing for me is almost all of the Attitude Era, I wasn't watching wrestling. Like I, the wow. idea of you know Shawn Michaels as a show stealer wasn't really like Shawn Michaels to me is the one half of the rockers um rather than you know Mr WrestleMania um and Monday Night Wars and NWO that that really wasn't on my radar but I've I've always had a huge interest in kind of the theory behind pro wrestling mm. if you like I'm, I'm I'm massively fascinated by how they go about telling stories and uh so how that ties in with theaters like is is really good crack for me that's class like because a lot of people that I've been speaking to in a, in a wrestling aspect all have said it's like the, the Attitude Era is, is how, how much what caught them. But talking to somebody like yourself that is pre that and basically pretty much like you said wasn't really interested or involved in that era of Attitude is mind-blowing, to be honest. Yes, I'm, I'm unique in that I'm very, very ancient when it comes to the world of pro- Irish pro wrestling. Um, there's not a there's not a lot of us in our 40s, I can tell you. Uh, just inside my 40s, I hasten to add, just inside my just inside my 40s. Uh, but the, good, the thing that's the thing that's keeping my soul happy at the moment is uh, the fight night, the show I'm touring. I play a 28 year old middleweight knack, and I'm just about getting away with it. Well, <laughs> well, if people believe I'm 28, you know, maybe something's okay. I can't be I... totally washed up and over. Yes. That's no, true. You, look, um, you do look the same age as me. To be fair, I must say. Like, you know. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's kind of it's a unique, it's kind of a unique perspective on stuff um, in terms of my fandom, if you like, when it comes to pro wrestling, because there's so much of that. What people see as, I guess, a golden era of of pro wrestling, uh, just kind of wasn't really on my radar, and I only came back to it uh, in the early 2000s. I remember my brother gave me a copy of The Rock's autobiography. And obviously, I knew who The Rock was. I knew Stone Cold was. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't tuning in every week. I wasn't watching pay per views. But no one on the planet didn't know who Stone Cold yeah. or The Rock were. Um, and my brother gave me The Rock's autobiography, and I remember reading it. And obviously, it's ghost written to all hell. But that kind of doesn't matter. It's when I heard him talking about being third generation. I was going, oh, "Hang on a second, I'm third generation," and hear him talking about it um, as much about a performance as it was about an athletic competition. Uh, I was like, oh, this it kind of started to ring bells with me. And the weird thing for me is, like, I would like to think of myself as a relatively intelligent man. I have a, a degree in theatre and whatever else. 
but so much of the work of pro wrestling, uh, as in like the, the kind of the, the con of pro wrestling, if you like, mm. never occurred to me that it wasn't real. Like, yeah. so for example, I I had an awful lot of resentment toward The Undertaker for many decades because when I was 10 or 11, we went to see uh, a WWE house show in what was then The Point here in Dublin. And my aunt brought us and brought us back to the, the wrestler's hotel afterwards to meet them and get kind of autographs and stuff. And we met Paul Bearer, we met the Bushwhackers, we met all kinds of exciting people. Saw Virgil very much the worse for wear. And, uh, but then also, the Taker was there. And Taker came along, and my five-year-old brother, who was tiny, a small kid, went up to Taker and said, Excuse me, Undertaker. Oh, you've cut off there. Get out of my way! And uh, I, I'm like, I went, oh, that's terrible. He like, he like, like, totally healed out on my brother there. And I just, it never occurred to me that, that was him protecting the character. And like, it's so mad to me that I could make my living as an actor pretending to be something I'm not, who would look at something portraying a character and not go, ah, good performance. Go, oh, he's a mean man. <laughs> that's mad. Like, but it's, it's good to see that like after the Undertaker protected his character for so long. He's coming out now and doing these different podcasts and showing the real side to who Mark is. You know, we, I, I, don't, I don't know him as The Undertaker now. I know him as Mark, the person. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating. He's such a unique character in the world of pro wrestling. Uh, but sorry, sorry. obviously it's a unique character that he portrayed, but he as the person is a unique character okay. in the world of pro wrestling. The idea of that enduring loyalty in a business that kind of doesn't have any loyalty at all ever. Um, and... And I also, I would actually characterize it as respect for the craft, respect for the art of pro wrestling. Um, that's a dude who has sacrificed a lot, obviously gained a lot from the world of pro wrestling, like, you know, make no bones about it, but has sacrificed a lot for it, you know, personally. Uh, he's someone I would have huge respect for as a performer. Just, uh, you know, a phenomenal contribution. I saw someone say on Twitter the other day in terms of him going to the Hall of Fame, that you know he could be inducted as a as a standalone single entry into the Hall of Fame, and kind of an argument that maybe he should. That he is such a unique talent that you would put him in in a year just by himself, and I don't think many people complain about that. No, even if you talk to anybody about, about wrestling, you say, "Do you have any top five wrestlers?" The Undertaker's in every single person's. That is that yeah. is that level of standard that he portrayed is like 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 yeah. you said. There's a love for the work, and there's a love for the art. Yeah, everybody, yeah, and, everybody loves it. Yeah, and just a, a tremendous body of work over a significant period of time, like remarkable stuff. And to have got like to have gotten away with it, you know, like being a zombie wizard, you know, you could have been called out for that pretty early on. And he, he man, he made us believe right the way along, completely. Mm. Huge respect for the guy. What, what's your thoughts on like the the cinematic matches they're doing now with with like the legend wrestlers? That I, to me, they look good. But I still, I'd like it more live, you know. Yeah. So I, my my thing with that is, if if you're going to jump medium, if you're going to jump from live performance in front of a crowd to, a, so this is something that happens in my life all the time. As an actor, I work across stage and screen, and when I'm working in film and TV, it's very different to how I work in front of a live crowd. Totally different disciplines, totally different mediums. And my issue with it is, I don't think they have fully embraced the possibilities of what's... There are things I can do on camera that I can't do on stage. There's things I can do on stage that I can't do on camera. And I think they have yet to fully embrace the benefits and the additions, uh, the, the, the added tricks that you can do for a camera that you can't do on, uh, on stage. So, for example, the joy of doing stuff on camera is you don't have to bump for real every time. Um, and I think rather than kind of going, oh, this is great, we can kind of not bump for real, we do certain things. It feels like they're going the opposite way, and they're going, okay, well, we'll do 40 takes, and you can take the bump 40 times. You're going, this is insane. Is They shouldn't make it 40 times worse. It should make it 40 times easier. So, I mean, even there's that story of, of the Boneyard match, and Taker cutting up his arm in the glass, and you're going, how are we using shoot glass in a car? It's like, this is a movie prop. It's not, it has to be real in the ring. Yeah. Um, and, I, like, I've done... I've done a small bit of training, so I understand a bit about bumping. I've kind of put my body through a bit, so I'm, I'm you know, I, I understand what what it needs to be in terms of being real in the ring. But when you can gimmick it, gimmick it. Like I, I, I there's no, for my money, there's no real glory in putting yourself through undue hardship or undue physical damage. Mm-hmm. Um, it might seem brave or 
wild or whatever. I, I'd rather you had a 25-year career and made a whole load of money. I don't want to see... Like, I, I want people to take the easiest, safest, simplest bumps that create the maximum amount of impact for a crowd as, to make as much money for as long as possible. That, that's what I'm hoping for. And again, it's that thing I remember reading um, a quote from Taker, actually, who said, yeah, it's all well and good. You see these guys hitting you know, triple corkscrew moonsaults off the top to the outside and they get a pop. He says, I can get as loud a reaction by raising my fist in the air. And that's that for me is the art. I mean, sure, like, don't get me wrong. I, I want to see people get speared off a ladder. I want to see people take crazy bumps through tables. Like that, That's exciting and it pops me as much as it pops anybody else. But ultimately, and even more so now that I'm involved and these people, these performers are my friends, okay, if you're going to put your body through that, a, make sure you get well paid for it and make sure you're enjoying it. But B, be smart about it. We all have a bump card. There's only so many you can take. And don't shorten your career unnecessarily, I would say. That's, yeah, fucking hell. Um, I've always said, like, a health is wealth in that sense, too. Like, if your, your, your health, your, your body makes you money. And if you cut it short, yeah. you're, you're, you're skinned. You're working a dead-end job somewhere you're not going to enjoy yourself. Um, but see, with, with you being a stage actor and whatnot, what was the transition from going from stage to microphone to ring, you know, with the behind the camera. How'd that come about? Uh, it, well, it, it's a funny... Okay, it, it, for some of this, we have to go back to 2002. Right. Um, <laughs> so in, in 2002, uh, Paul Tracy and Fergal Devitt, better known to many as Finn Balor, set up the first pro wrestling training school in Ireland in Bray, County Wicklow, Ireland. And the first person to walk through their doors was a certain Angus McAnally. <laughs> Uh, not a lot of people know that, uh, but I was I was finishing up in drama school. It was my final year of drama school, and having spent the three years training, um, obviously you're acting and singing and whatever else, but also you're doing a lot of movement training and dance training and using your body to tell stories. I, the idea that a school had opened in Ireland, I had no intention of being a performer, no intention of being a worker, but I wanted to try it out as an additional set of skills to my bow in terms of an understanding of physical storytelling. And so I went out and trained with them for a few months, and then I graduated from drama school and the career kind of took off quite quickly. Um, I, I was going from gig to gig, and it kind of became a thing where I was neither available to go training, nor was I interested in risking injury when there was big contracts for movies and stage stuff going on. So I kind of I left it behind. Stayed in touch with both Paul and, and Fergal over the years. Cut to 2015. Yes, 2015. Uh, and OTT had just started at the end of 2014, and my kid brother uh, was saying, hey, why don't we go and see this this independent wrestling show and Dublin's going no they're really pushing the fact that it's over 18 that's going to be light tubes and you know razor wire and all I've, I've no interest I'm not into the blood and gut stuff eventually he convinced me to go and we went and I fell in love on night one like, I, I couldn't believe how amazing OTT was and yes it was the infamous glamorous days of the Tivoli and that electric atmosphere and three cans for a tenner and two pound pizza slices and all that kind of stuff it was, it was just like anyone who wasn't there believe the hype it was as magical as people as people say it was it was spectacular and i instantly fell in love and at the end of the night i, I went and asked where the promoter was i said and, and approached the man who i now know was joe Bray and said we need to do something I, I need to i need to co-promote i need to co-produce i need to do something with you because this is too incredible and I, at the time i had rise productions my, my theater company and what I thought was an amazing business pitch, Joe saw as a drunk fag. You're really good at wrestling. I love wrestling. Uh, and so Joe look, took one look at me and said, yeah, find us on Facebook, kid, and kind of walked off. Um, and as it happens, I did. Uh, and I went back training uh, with Joe for a few months, more than a few months, actually. And and I brought Joe in to, to choreograph fights on the next stage play that I was making with Rise Productions. He came in and put together all our all our stage combat stuff. And that was mad because that show, it was um the first the first half of that show was an hour long and it was an hour long fight sequence. Just and and I, I love good stage combat and I hate bad stage combat. And so I brought Joe in to go if we're going to do this, I want to make it as realistic as possible. I want it, I want it to be unlike any fight scene anyone's ever seen on an Irish stage. And it was. He put amazing stuff together for us. And people lost their minds for like, kind of the theatre community going, we've never seen anything like this. Now, any wrestling fan would have seen the most basic fight they've ever seen. But for, for theatre fans, the idea that there was that much contact involved, uh, that much danger, that much realism, they couldn't believe it. And all the reviews, I remember like, you know, Sunday Independent stuff, kind of going, like, it looks like an MMA fight. This is ridiculous. We're going, yeah, well, because we're getting the real deal. And then what actually happened was the OTT were running the fringe then. 
and the fringe approached me separately to say look we're bringing in ott would you come in as special guest host and i think it was kind of to bridge the gap between the the fringe theater audience who would have known me and known my work but wouldn't be quite ready to take a risk on pro wrestling because they would have thought oh well you know, bodybuilders and spandex and baby oil, fake fighting. That's not my cup of tea. I like, I like progressive art. Uh, and and I think once once they saw that I was attached, they went, oh, well, if, if Engo's there, then maybe it's up our street. And the success of that first Fringe show was mind-blowing. They completely sold it out. So they added extra seats and sold those out. And then it got to the point where 10 minutes before the opening fight, Someone came backstage to the locker room and literally took the seat out from under my arse to sell it as another as another seat for the crowd. Like it just like way way above capacity. Um, people went mad for it and they saw it and it it blew the roof off the Spiegel tent and they came back again next year. It was it was phenomenal. And so I was brought in a special guest for that. And then after that, they they went launched the VOD um, service with OTT, and the early episodes didn't have any commentary, and I really felt it was missing. And so I kind of asked around a bit and the advice I got from some of the boys was don't ask for permission to do this. Just present it as a fait accompli. So myself and the very legendary Don Marnell, uh, who had a history in radio and stand up, came together. We were mates and we were both big fans. So we knew we knew wrestling and we knew specifically the OTT product and we both knew how to talk. And he was like, he's a walking, talking, living, breathing version of a colour man and I'm the straight laced you know dude in his 40s who calls it down the middle uh, and so as, as a pairing it really worked and we got together and we just we, we, we laid down commentary over uh, over two matches one was a big title switch I think it may have been Pete Dunne and, and Luther Ward and then the other was a comedy match with Martina just to say look we can do both we, we can give you this played it for Joe and said look here's the deal no obligation no expectations but if you want this, we're offering it to you. And he, he went for it. And the rest, as they say, is history. That's class. That is unbelievable. Because believe it or not, I, I've always been a mainstream wrestling fan, you know, the likes of the WWE. And I've, I never ventured further out, out of that. And then I lost love for it. But I always sort of tended to, first, you flick through YouTube and you see the highlights come up. I said, oh, stick on, see what's happening, whatever. Lost interest. Then AEW came around and it re- reignited my love for wrestling again because it was raw. It was pure passionate. And then I then I got asked to go down to Martinez Gaff party on this uh, sixth down in uh, at the KKRF Center there last year, and I was blown away. Instantly fell in love with it, and I I I am now fully immersed in OTT because I'm big Will Osprey fan. Yeah, big Osprey fan. When I seen him, I can talk a lot, and every everybody that knows me knows that I will talk for Ireland if I could. When I seen him, I couldn't say a fucking word. <laughs> it, was, it was just amazing to see the amount of talent, like unknown talent. Well, that's bad to say that there, but relatively unknown talent coming from such a small country was honestly sensational. Yeah, it, it's kind of a special thing, and um, you know, obviously, like like every live performing art, the last two years have, have taken a, a serious toll. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, good for me. Diversifying between theater and pro wrestling, good man. Angle, that's a that's a sensible career plan. Um, that's not all your eggs in one basket at all. Uh, so obviously, the, the last two years have, have kind of taken its toll. But like, you talk about lightning in a bottle. The OTT magic it is something quite special and quite unique, and I think that's why it's got the global recognition over the years. That that we're we're doing a unique thing at a very high level. And look, there, there's no kind of accident in that. People kind of look at OTT and they think about it as you know the scrappy underdog that came from the Tivoli and that's true but Cabret walked into the Tivoli having already been producing you know major European tours and you know televised arena shows and stuff and and, and booking you know the RVDs and the Sid Justices and the Bret Harts and, and all that stuff so you know Cabret is is top level promoter he's I look I, I'd take a bullet for the guy he's he's an incredible fella uh Probably the most natural leader I've ever come across in in any walk of life. Um, I've I've huge respect for him, um, like a, a real solid dude. And he knows what he's doing. He knows how to promote a show. Uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be part of the machine. I have to say. Mm. Yeah, see, I, I do stand I do stand up comedy, so I do. So we both are men with a microphone in our hand dealing with a crowd. 
Have you ever come across somebody that's shouted something at you and you thought, right, fuck, you've got me there, well done, you know, <laughs> or you haven't had that ability to, you know, snap back at them with a witty response, you know? Well, the, the weird thing for me is that that's really me out of my comfort zone. As I said, my my first love and my, my main experience is in, in theatre and TV. And so what? So TV and film stuff I do, there's no live crowd. The theatre stuff I do, sure, there's a live crowd, but it's, you know, it's well-meaning middle-class people sitting down in plush red velvet seats who behave themselves. There's not a huge amount of heckling goes on in my game. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting. And also the other thing is, what I do is rehearsed up to its eyeballs. The idea of calling on the fly or calling it in the ring doesn't happen in my game. Uh, and so it's a real baptism of fire for me every time I, I get out there. And even for me now, and I, you know, I've got 25 years experience performing in front of crowds. The idea of going out there unrehearsed still rattles me. Like I don't get nervous before theater shows. I don't really get nervous before film or TV stuff, but the, the nerves do kick in before pro wrestling because it's like anything can happen out there and we're going to call it and go with it. And you you have to be there, ready to rock and ready to respond, um, which is which is fun. Um, but yeah, no, I'm trying. To, there's nothing that's really thrown me. There was one, I think maybe the first show back, uh, where someone, a woman, showed up at me to take me clothes off or something. I was going, really? After the last two years, this is where we're going to go with the first heckle I get on day one. I was like, I I don't know that this is where we're going. This is unwise. And I just got like, I'm not engaging with this. At all, I'm not. I'm not stepping on that minefield. I think that happened as well at Martinez Gaff party as well. I think that happened too. <laughs> well, <laughs> so good. No, I, I I tend to get hackled all the time, but I have that witty response just to sort of snap back and just put them in their place because you don't mess with somebody with just as no like nothing going for them in life. You know, I just don't care. <laughs> well, this is the, and also, but it's why like, I like. I've always been the straight man in in the double act. Um, and that's why you get someone you know as sharp as uh, someone as sharp as Don Marnell, who is just ready to fire back with any of that stuff all the time. Even Jamie, who I work with now, Jamie is much much sharper than that sharp, witty, you know, Bobby Heenan esque quip. Uh, that's a skill set that I don't have, and I'm cool with that. Like what I do, I do well, and I, I know what I'm doing, and I stay in my lane. And I am the steady, solid, dependable, sensible guy who you know you can trust to call it down the middle. Um, and, and I let those around me kind of... Because, you know, in terms of the dynamic of that performance thing, you need a straight man to allow the colour guy bounce off with those witty things. So it suits me down to the ground. But no, it's not my skill set. It's not my area of expertise. And if we were to get into, like, a an epic rap battle or a roast, I would be, like, waving the white flag in seconds. <laughs> it's a proper good cop, bad cop scenario with the commentators on OTT. <laughs> Um, you've seen a lot of rising stars coming through the ranks, the likes of Jordan Devlin and whatnot as well, being one of the more reputable ones, like homegrown. Is there any other people you've seen, sort of, or any people that you think are going to be rising stars hitting the, hitting the big leagues? I know that that sounds bad saying that OTA is big big league, but hitting the mainstream ranks. Yeah, big international stuff. I'm like, it's a funny one. Um, as you say, look, Devlin Devlin's made it to WWE. It's not going to get a huge much bigger than that. Um, uh, you know, I remember. Like I first met Scotty Davis when he was a fourteen-year-old kid, and I pre- I presumed he was twenty-four or twenty-three or something. I presumed like he was a grown man because we were training together, and he was ragdolling me around that ring for months. So I just and I, you know, there's a lot of me to love. So you, you throw me around a ring, you know, you got some power. Um, and I remember chatting to him, and our birthdays are a day apart. Uh, I said, "Oh, well, a day in a couple of years, I presume." And he's like, "Well, yeah." I said, "So what age are you going to be on your birthday?" He said, "I'm going to be 15. I said, "What?" It's gonna be fifteen. I mean, you're fourteen now. So, yeah, I was like, and it blew my mind because again, I presumed he was in his early twenties, uh, and it's it's kind of you know that's kind of mad. But for me, I, look, I started working at fifteen. I was touring around Ireland and the world at, at fifteen, making movies and making films. And stuff. I remember touring over to London and having wild times as a fifteen, sixteen year old kid. So it's not it wasn't kind of unusual for me. But like. That's a guy who is prodigiously talented, a guy who from the age of 14, 15 could just, could just do it. Incredibly gifted athlete, incredibly strong. Like, you'd feel that's a guy that has all the attributes to go there. But also, you know, you look at the women as well that we have. The likes of, you know, Valkyrie signed with WWE. Uh, Martina had made it to ROH before the pandemic come, kind of came mm-hmm. everything. Like, there is immense amounts of talent coming from this island. Um, and I'm, I'm just really excited to see where they're all going to go because I think... I think there's huge potential there for for anyone who wants to go and grab it. Oh, 100%. And I, I've, through OTT, I found a new love for women's wrestling. Like, yeah. 
Raven has impressed me so much that night at uh, the Halloween Spectacular in Belfast. I, I was one of those guys wearing those monk suits, by the way, if you've seen that one of those. Right. <laughs> that, that match between, was it her, Emerson Jane, and uh, Session Goth was... Yeah. Oh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't describe how, how much I loved it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. I know kind of generally around the world, uh, promoters get stick for how they put women's wrestling out there. I think in the old days it used to be you know, brand panties matches and ball gown matches and that kind of stuff. Thankfully, it's moved away from that. Uh, but I think even at that, OTT packages things uh, in, a, in a particular way where the rule book is ripped up a little bit in that very few people would look at Martina as a women's wrestler, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And that she's just a talent who can get in there and mix it with anybody. Yeah. Um, uh, and then you get those, you know, those kind of talents, like, you know, incredibly athletic people like Valkyrie, but also like someone as... Someone as off center as Raven Creed is like that's that, like just a fantastic character to have on shows. And the thing I always love about pro wrestling is, at its best, it should feel like a three ring circus. And if you want Will Osprey doing flips, amazing, we've got Osprey doing flips for you. If you want Big Demo coming in and smashing people as a big beast, we've got that for you too. If you want uh, Martina doing comedy stuff, we've got that for you too. If you want Raven Creed taking insane bumps on chairs or you know angel Cruz coming in with light tubes like we we've got all that there for you there is something for everyone there and that that's what i like about it that it is a crazy mis- mishmash of comedy and athleticism and drama and acrobatics and just a really great night out i mean what more could you ask for exactly when, when you've been commentating matches everyone has a limit to what is like too much have you been calling a match and like everyone sees sort of tends to see red or you know go off the cuff during during matches? Have you ever seen anything and thought, right, fuck, I was a bit too much, even though you knew that wasn't meant to happen? Um, too much in terms of me feeling people were taking too big a risk with their bodies, maybe yeah, or that sort of dynamic. Uh, uh, we're lucky enough at OTT that uh, I don't want to say people played safe because that sounds like it's a negative connotation because I don't mean that. Yeah, what I mean, what I mean is you need to be at a certain level before you get booked for OTT. And I think at that stage, most of the crazies or people who aren't skillful enough are kind of weeded out. You don't, you don't get there if you're going to take crazy risks. There's a, there's a quote when it comes to theater uh, by Goethe, which is, he says, I wish the stage was as narrow as a tightrope so that no incompetent would dare set foot on it. And I kind of like the idea of that. Um, and there's something about there's something about OTT that uh, you need to be at a certain level before you're there. So I there's never... I don't think I've ever been uncomfortable with recklessness of stuff. I mean, even even seeing speedball, like, moonsault off of balconies and stuff, it... it I mean, obviously, that's inherently risky. Um, but you, you have faith in both the performer and the machine around in terms of, you know, ring crew and stuff that I, I've, I've never, I've never felt unsafe at an OTT show. That's, that's something I'd be happy to say, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Cause there, there is times you, I see like, you know, clips of mainstream wrestling shows that you see, you see play, uh, characters breaking, breaking character and going nuts. People giving receipts out flat out for something oh. that might've been stupid and stuff. It's like, we're all human. We had a mistake. If you didn't go go get genuinely hurt, just brush it off and crack on with the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I have very little time for that kind of concept of receipts. I um, so the, this show fight that I'm doing is about a boxer. So I've I, I've never done boxing training before doing the show, but I did the show first ten years ago and did a big three month training camp to get ready for the show and, and to learn how to fight. And obviously revisiting that show over the last ten or twelve years, I've I've done a lot of boxing training, and I, uh, I there's. I have a huge amount of respect for anyone who steps into any ring at any point, uh, kind of puts themselves on the line. But there is there are issues of consent around it. Mm. And if I get into a boxing ring, you know, obviously if I do in a boxing ring what I do and then do it out in the street, I'm going to get arrested for assault. <laughs> but in, in a boxing ring where, where we've both consented to a bit of sparring, that's fine, it's legit, we know what we're doing, it's within agreed rules. Equally, within the agreed rules of what happens in a pro wrestling ring, the the implicit contract is that we're not there to hurt each other. We're there to work to make each other look great, uh, to give the audience an amazing show, and to make them want to pay to come and see us again next month. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Anyone taking liberties within that, that's not a sign of bravery or courage or strength or hardness. I, I see that as cowardice, and I, I have no real time for it at yeah. all, I have to yeah. say. And again, mercifully, 
it's not something I've encountered uh, around OTT. Mm. Uh, when, I, when I first went down to my first OTT show, I did a bit of research, but I'm you know, trying to catch up with things so I knew what was going yeah. on. And I must say, fair play to you on the transition, what you were maybe in 2016, 2017. You're, you're half the man you are now. And fair, yes, I am. Fair play to you. How, how, how did you go about that? Was, was there a moment in your life that says, right, fuck this, I need to change? Uh, it was it was a couple of things. Um, so this this show fight night was coming back, and I play a twenty eight year old middleweight in it. And if you're knocking on the door of forty and knocking on the door of nineteen stone, you are neither twenty eight nor a middleweight. <laughs> uh, and so um, and so the, the show itself is very physically demanding. You, you need to have the cardio fitness to do the show. So uh, I was looking at it going, if we bring uh, there was talk of bringing the show back uh, for a big national tour. I went okay. A, I'd be up for bringing it back. It deserves one more go. But if I do, I, I, I need to be in shape to do it. And again, like that staring at the barrel of 40, the stuff you get away with in your 20s and 30s that you just won't get away with as, as you get into your 40s. And for for health reasons, I was like, right, okay, I need to I need to sort myself out. I need to get back in shape. And so signed the contract for the tour and, and set about cutting six stone over nine months, basically. Uh, which was uh, which was an interesting experience, shall we say? <laughs> and it was, it was easily a stone and hair as well. You shaved off. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. Yeah, that was an interesting approach. Yeah, I, I, like I've never had long hair in my life, and it just kind of became this thing out of the lockdown where there was no barbers open for a while, and then suddenly there was enough to kind of get it up into one of those embarrassing little man buns. I was going, well, let's let's see how long we can stick with this. And also, I was kind of aware that there was an idea of like coming out of a cocoon at the end of all that time. And I kind of like the idea of that symbolic shaving of the head and, you know, new year, new me, like live, laugh, love, Instagram influencer. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of part of it as well. And, but also, as soon as I knew I was going to need to shave the head for the show, I was going, I've got to offer this to Joe. Like, there's no way I could have this much hair and not offer him a hair match. And we kind of couldn't... It's a tricky thing. I, like, I'm always very wary of any non-in-ring talent trying to get themselves over trying to get themselves airtime it's usually coming from a bad place of ego and it's very tricky to do well and so because the whole thing is like who who are we getting heat on and how are we ever going to pay that back you know if i'm yeah. if i'm not going to go and work a match with someone what what actually are we doing with this so it's a tricky thing to get right um so but like but i, I couldn't in good conscience i couldn't not offer it to joe as as an option that was there so uh, yeah, we ended up with that magical moment with uh, with the wonderful Be Cool in the middle of the ring. That's class. That's unbelievable. No, but oh, mad, mad respect to you. You look unbelievable. Fair play to you. You're definitely about twenty five ish. Yes, know. correct. That is precisely <laughs> the age. Um, thank you very much indeed. Uh, yeah, no, look, it's, it's, it was worth doing, and I feel much better on it. Um, did it safely and sanely. Gave myself, as I said, gave myself nine months. Now, still six stone in nine months is is fast. Mm. Uh, and not necessarily doable for everybody. But I, I went about it in a very safe and sane way. I still allowed myself a few drinks every weekend, still had movie nights with the kids and popcorn and jellies. Now, not four bags of microwave popcorn and three sharing-sized bags of jellies, you know, but a few jellies and a bit of popcorn. Um, and and kept it down. Mostly just went walking. It was mostly just a huge amount of walking to cut the weight. Because the thing is, when you're carrying that much weight around... Any walking you do is effectively resistance work. You know, it's like doing it in a weighted vest. Yeah. So, um, so you can you can do a lot of work without putting too much stress on the body uh, early on. And then, obviously, towards the end of it, as we're getting back into rehearsals and stuff, it did ramp up. And I went back with my original strength and conditioning guy and my original boxing coach to to kind of get back fighting fit, as they say. <laughs> um, and it's been it's been lovely being back, but it's nearly five months on the road at this stage. So, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to the break after. I'm still loving doing it, but I'm looking forward to the break. Is, is, is there a match that you sort of put up there on a pedestal in all your years at OTT? There's been, there's been some magic moments. Uh, I think particularly those big stadium shows. Uh, the opening of the very first stadium show, myself and Don Marnell in the ring, just after we give the countdown to the crowd, because we were, we were live on Flow Slam around the world, and it really felt like Irish wrestling announcing itself to the world going, we're as good as anyone, anywhere, and we can deliver. And that moment, you know, after 20-odd years in the business, performing in front of live crowds all around the world, I don't think I've ever felt anything as electric as that. Uh, it was it was remarkable, because the fans were there with us. The fans were there with us on the journey, like this thing that we built from a couple of hundred people in the Tivoli 
to 2,200 sold out. Um, and again, this is the kind of thing, like, you look at the success of AEW and, you know, and progress of Brighton High in London. 2,200 people sold out in a city of one and a half million. Like, if you pro-rata that up to Chicago mm. or to London or to New York, you know, you're talking about tens of thousands. In, like, in terms of, like, I don't think there were many wrestling fans on the island who weren't in the building that night. And that was a special moment. And then there's been kind of, you know, just brilliant matches. Like, you know, you can't get away. That that ongoing saga of long-term storytelling, which everyone says you can't do in independent wrestling because, you know, you don't know who's going to get signed, who's going to get injured, whatever else. It's different, you've got a big company. But the idea of long-term storytelling, that journey of the import killer and Devlin and Star and Walter and how we took that along, like, I don't think there has been any better storytelling mm. on the indie scene or maybe anywhere in the last five or ten years. I'd look, I'd, I'd be, I'd be hard pressed to give you a better example. Uh, that's, that's the thing as well. See, with mainstream like the likes of WWE, you you see them re- recycling old stories from fucking maybe ten years ago, and and it gets boring. It really does. Yeah, it's it's. Look, I think part of this is the the quest for content, the thirst for content. I mean, if you look at the amount of hours of programming that WWE have to turn out every week, it's very difficult to have that uh, unique and engaging and exciting week in, week out. Just the the sheer volume of it. Even if you have a writer's room of 40 people. Uh, And you get into the same thing with... I kind of like the difference between uh, making a feature film and making a soap. Like, if you think, when I'm I'm working on a film, you know, you might have 13 or 14 weeks to make two hours of content. You know, you look at the soaps, they have to turn out two hours a week. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the, 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 the pressures of making that time, and you think, look, WWE now, I mean, what, are they making, are they making 15 hours of TV a week, maybe? Like, it's Mental. it's vast. It's vast. And the idea of keeping that compelling at all points, keeping it interesting and engaging, making it all make sense within the universe, but also to have that much time to create enough characters that I care about uh, is, is, a, is a big ask. Um because because ultimately that is the point. If I don't care, then you know you can do all the Canadian destroyers you want. Like, but if you're doing it to someone I don't care about, it, it kind of means nothing. Mm. If you're doing it to my hero, or if you're doing it to the guy who I've really wanted to see get his comeuppance for the last six months, that that's where pro wrestling is magic. That's that's the storytelling. Did you have a current favorite in, in OT, OTT? Uh, they'd kill me if I said. I, I don't, I well, I know. I know, definitely. Be, 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 be cool will kill me if I don't say be cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, like I think the the joy around OTT at the moment is, and it's the joy around OTT all the time. There are so many unique characters, each of whom plays. This is going to sound like it's you know tree hugging and hands around the campfire stuff. Everyone has a role to play, and you don't get to be the big star champion with the belt if the undercard doesn't make sense. Mm. Right the way down to, you don't get to be the mid card looking to break through. If you don't have the ring crew literally setting up the ring, like it's a it's a big family, it's a big machine. We are all cogs in the wheel, and we all contribute what we contribute. And the idea that you know, you know, Haskins is the most important because he's got the belt, and that's the end of it. And he's much more important than than ring crew or someone operating sound or whatever. You're going, well, no, we we all have our part to play within this. Um, but long story short, my favorite is Martina because everyone fancies Martina. Oh, big time! Yeah, one hundred percent. I actually, <laughs> I actually messaged her there recently to see if she come on the podcast before Scrapper. So fingers crossed, I'll get her on as well. And um, but being someone who is behind the scenes in a wrestling company, you see things differently from what I see. Okay, so can I ask what your opinion is or what your thoughts are in the current situation? Not the likes of WWE and AEW. Like, do you see things that I don't see? Because like they've released Cesaro there recently as well, out of the blue. Is, do, yeah. do you reckon it's a case of Vince McMahon selling assets before he sells all? Uh, I don't know, is yeah. the short answer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what goes on inside Vince McMahon's head. I don't know what goes, in and so- goes on inside the accounts of a billion-dollar company like WWE. And I don't know what goes on inside the minds of uh, a hungry young company like AEW that are trying to really cement their foothold on the business. What I do know is that the more I go in pro wrestling, the less I'm sure of. Apart from one thing, everything is a work. It's always a work. Even when they tell you it's not a work, it's still a work. Even when you are sure it's not a work, it's still a work. Even when you have proof that it's a shoot, it's still a work. That's the only universal truth. So, I mean, kind of take from that what you will. Uh, I, 
it's it's a strange situation. It, look, the thing is, we're in really un- uncharted territory because for the first time in a long time, there is a viable option to a very good living outside of WWE. And that would be fine if it was just reverting back to, say, late 90s, where there was a real option that you could do mm-hmm. one or the other yeah. it, back in those days. But the game in terms of broadcast media has shifted so much in that intervening time. Uh, like, the, you know, for example, the idea that a small indie company like OTT from Dublin for their first stadium show can broadcast live around the world via Flow Slam. Like, if you go back to Monday Night Wars or whatever, where we're talking about like the last kind of time where there was chances going to do stuff around the world, hundreds of thousands of dollars in satellite spend to get that stuff there. Like, just to the point where it would have been entirely unfeasible. The game has shifted. So what you do is you've reverted back to the late 90s choice for performers, um, but on a totally radically changed digital landscape now so the honest answer is the game has changed to the point where no one knows what's going on and I, I think it'll take a while to settle down because you know you look at for example the Cesaro situation and if he's gone you're going well you know is that WWE dropping the ball and one of the greatest performers of the last 20 years possibly is that a performer going I came from independent roots I've had an incredible run at the very top of the game um, I've made more money than I ever could have dreamed of when I was bumping for, you know, a hot dog and a handshake and or you know forty dollars in gas money. Um, and now, having done all that and having enough now that, you know, possibly at that point you're talking a situation of I don't need to work again. I'm like I'm set up now, so now I'm going to do what I want to do, and that's that may well be part of it as well. You look at the the Daniel Bryan's of the world, the CM Punk's of the world. Um, look potentially where Kevin Owens may or may not end up. There's enough guys there who can do things on their own terms. Because if you're not trying to be the next Rock, if you're not trying to be the next Cena, um, the the world opens up to you. And if you see that there's ways of of doing things without that really punishing touring schedule, or without maybe even taking bumps at all in terms of people segueing into film and TV and stuff. I, I can understand why that's attractive. I, but it, but the honest answer is no one knows what's going on because the game is wild at the moment. You could make a very healthy living in Europe. You can make a very healthy living in Japan, in Mexico, in the States. And it's an awful long time since that's been the way. And except now the rule book is completely ripped up and totally different. So who knows? Yeah, I think, I think the whole Cody Rhodes thing as well is a massive work. That's that's a fascinating situation, and I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Because with WrestleMania coming up as well, if he like comes back as Stardust, I'll 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 hate him forever. I'll, honestly, I'll <laughs> you know, I'll be so angry because I thoroughly enjoyed how he was going as as the American Nightmare in AEW. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and if he just drops yeah. the ball and goes back to a business that he hated, regardless of whether the money is is vast or not or not. I would never sell my own sort of respect. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, this is the thing. I look at a situation like that and you go on like, uh, uh, you know, like put him in Stardust, put him back in Stardust or better still, put him in Polka Dots. Like, like, it, like it, uh, can you imagine the heat? Can you imagine the heat on that pop? Um, I, like, I think, I think there's incredible things you could do to generate nuclear heat around that if they want. And kind of ultimately... I think there's two kinds of people. There's people who want to work out how the magician saws the lady in half, and people who just want to be wowed by the show. Yeah. And and for me, I would always have been the dude who wants to get wowed by the show, but the more intimately involved I get with the business, the more I see the internal workings, um, the more, actually, it, rather than making me want to see how the trick is done more, it makes me want to just be wowed more. And so I, I'm delighted to be worked all the time. There was that retirement match that Be Cool worked in Belfast recently. He came up to me beforehand and said that was it. He was stepping away, and I had a big emotional goodbye to him before the match. And then the bastard was working me the entire time because <laughs> um, I hate Be Cool. Uh, and you can tell him that, but that's a quote. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, so, like, I like I, I like being worked. I like being taken on a roller coaster ride. Uh, it's why I'm bringing the kids to Disney. I, I like to be like. Chart that journey. That that the thing that like so you know this the theming that they do in Disney queues to occupy for the half an hour wait for the roller coaster. The roller coaster starts there. I like being taken on the ride. Prep me up, get like lure me in with different things. 
I like being taken on the ride. And there's kind of there's a long form storytelling that we can do in pro wrestling that you can't really do outside of kind of like you know the Marvel universe or whatever else. There are things where uh, you can set stuff up and set expectations uh, that you can only do over that longer form storytelling. So for example, like the, just the concept of a finishing move, it takes you ten matches to show me that a finishing move is a finishing move. Yeah. Uh, and it's only then in the 11th match when the dude kicks out that I go, oh my God, because you've set up the expectation that you can now play with. Uh, that's That for me is the really exciting bit. That's class. Um, uh, uh, we've recorded 45 minutes, wrap this up in about 10 minutes or so. Um, you've, right, uh, I'll give you a scenario. You have free reign of every wrestler you've known. or We'll, 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 we'll keep it OTT, right? You are free reign of OTT to create a storyline between two, two, two talents. Oh. Hit me with it. Uh, God damn it! Oh, there's too many options. Um, <laughs> if I well, if I if I had a, if I had an unlimited checkbook, I would have Eddie Kingston there every month. I would have I would Kingston back in a title picture. Maybe not with Haskins, but maybe maybe with someone homegrown. Uh, like I look around at the people that I'd be interested in in working with. I mean, like Kingston's. Great, Kingston's one of the lads. Like we've had incredible times with him when he's been here. Just oh, has he been in OT? I, I didn't know that. Has he been in OT too? Oh yeah, no, yeah. He's worked with a couple times. He's worked a couple times over the years, and uh, just like a real, real solid dude. You know, you know, sometimes you meet someone on holidays, and like after two hours, you go, "Can we be best friends forever?" Because this is like <laughs> this is working. That's that's Eddie Kingston in OTT for my money. Um, you know, I've done. I've had some good road trips with Eddie when he was here. Like we, we've had some some good times, some good chats. He's he's one of the lads. He's one of us. Uh, so he'd be someone I would I would build around. In I mean, look, obviously I'm a fan of talkers, and he's someone who can back it up in the ring. I think I think I'd find a way to strap the strap the rockets to Kingston, put the belt on him, and and do something there. Uh, and I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind seeing Raven Creed with the title run. I think you could do something with Raven Creed. Mm-hmm. I think you do some really interesting stuff with Raven Creed uh, because I think I think she's incredibly believable. Yeah. I think she's. I think you can buy it enough that she's crazy enough that she can beat anybody she wants on her day. Now, equally, she's probably so crazy that she could throw it all away. But I think there's in terms of even whatever mixing up with our, the current roster of girls we have here, uh, or or bringing in women from around the world. Like I'd, I'd be confident enough you could put her in there and 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 have a really believable feud with anyone you wanted. Yeah, I I would I could I could watch Raven and Session Goth go all day. Yeah. Uh, for me, that was if, if I could get a a year long feud of that. Yeah. I I would be tuning. I'd, I'd be driving everywhere to see it. Genuinely, it, it yeah. would blow my mind. Yeah, and and that's what it's about. Like you you want to have you want to have these people you can buy into, people you can believe in. Um, people you care about and are invested in. It's yeah. it's what makes the difference. It's really what makes the difference. Um, you, you've got a big build-up now to Scrapper. It's all hands on deck currently. What, what do you do to sort of relax and get away from that? Because you do tend to have like a, a distinct like sort of barrier between work and social life. You know, you, t- you try and separate them both. What, what, do, what do you do to just relax and just get away from it all? I'm going to have very little time to relax. <laughs> uh, so li- literally the, the two-week run-up to Scrapper for me is the final two weeks of this theatre tour where I'm doing six shows a week. So every, with the exception of the Sunday before Scrapper, I'm, I've like a two week run nonstop of shows. And as the show is very physically demanding. Um, like I, I cut three pounds doing the show every night, uh, just in water weight. Um, so it's, it's very tough, but the very last night of this five month long 10th anniversary tour is the 12th of March which is the night of Scrapper. So currently, it is my intention to go to the stadium, open the show as normal, leave the stadium at 10 past 7 to dash across the city to get to the theatre on the north side, to go on stage as Dan Coyle Jr. at 8 o'clock, do the show for an hour, walk off stage, get back into a waiting car to drive me back across to the stadium to finish out the biggest night of the year at the stadium. That's how much Scrapper means to me. But I'm going to be running on fumes by the time we get there. Uh, I'm going to be gassed. I'm trying to rehydrate in the car on the way back over and uh, get in and call the main event because a bit like Patrick Swayze at the end of Dirty Dancing, I always call the main event in the stadium. 
<laughs> if you don't vlog that whole thing, I'll be so <laughs> angry. Yeah, oh. so it's crazy. So there's yeah, there's not too much time for relaxation for me. Um, I'm looking forward to. I can let you in a little bit, a little bit of inside news. Uh, I had a hot date planned with uh, the legend that is Dan Barry in March of 2020, and unfortunately, I mean, Dan Barry was at the check-in desk. Like Dan, Dan Barry was was he had checked? No, he had checked in and was sitting at the gate, the departure gate, ready to go when everything shut down. Uh, and we had a hot day planned. So uh, as it happens, I live here in beautiful Port Marnock on the north coast of Dublin, right on the beach. Uh, and so 400 yards down the road is what is now Port Marnock Hotel and Golf Links, but in the past was the family home of the Jemison Distillers. And as we all know, myself and Mr. Dan Barry enjoy a drop of Jemison every so often. So I am bringing him down to the family home of the Jemisons to have a delicious lunch, a little drop of whiskey, uh, and enjoy a pleasant day for ourselves. That's my mandate plan. So that'll be the one moment of relaxation I'll have before we get to Scrapper. Me and Dan Barry sharing a whiskey and a little, maybe... I don't know, like a bowl of chowder and a pint of Guinness, maybe something nice like that. Hundreds. I'll, I'll definitely be buying you a pint when I see you at Scrapper, just to say, here, well done, you've made it. Well done. I'll, here, if, if worst comes to worst, I'll jump in and compliment for you until you come back. Like, here you go. <laughs> hey, listen, just pitch it to Cabrera. It worked for me. <laughs> But yeah, we'll wrap this up. You know, the, the, the last thing I always ask my guests is, do you have any life advice for listeners? Just any, it could be anything at all, anything off the cuff. Just go nuts. So my granddad was a Donegal man called Ray McAnally, who was a three-time Best Actor BAFTA winner. So not a bad actor. And the, the message he lived his life by was a consistently high standard of work over a long period of time cannot go unnoticed. Put the work in. Graft for it. I've got huge respect for grafters. Um, don't wait for stuff to fall into your lap. Get out there and grab it by the scruff of the neck. It's, uh, you know, I look at my career over the last 10 or 12 years, and a huge influence behind that was Cabana getting up and doing things for himself. Uh, Pump and the pipe bomb and going into business for himself. Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona and the, the YouTube series and stuff. If you are not being given the opportunities, go and grab the opportunities. Make it happen. Uh, that would be my advice. Take the leap of faith. Absolutely. Back Take yourself. It. Yeah, You're worth it. The thing my grandfather told me was, um, if you blow air in a woman's ears, her knickers will fall down. So, <laughs> I will leave it with that. On a side off. On a side off. Abby Smitty, that's been Agus. Win the morning, win the day, and good luck. I'll hit that.